Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We have the incredible privilege of continuing and and, uh, I know some of you came to me and said, how could you let a redhead in the pulpit? It's a new strategy for the kingdom that Gabriel would, would be ministering. And they were on a long weekend this weekend, which was really, really cool. And, um, but amazing to have the series kicked off, no matter what. Can you say that with me? No, no matter what. I, I trust that that line and that mantra and that truth is going to be so worked into us that that would be a, something we can hold on to, that we would become the people that God's calling us to. I, I love the book of Philippians for many reasons, but probably one of the biggest is it, Paul's able just to get stuck in as this apostolic leader and call the church to taking massive spiritual ground because he's not having to do what he had to do with the Corinthians and sort out all the sin issues and sexual immorality and stuff. He's kind of, guys, come on to more. He's having to deal that there, Galatians and legalism. He's getting stuck into the Philippians church. He's saying, guys, actually, we can take higher ground. We can step into more and we can become the church that God is calling us to be. And part of him dealing with that is he's taking us through his word. He's dealing with truths. And he's calling a church to a truth, to a way of living that states actually no matter what. It's tough, but no matter what. And uh, we're really excited as we enjoy the series and we're enjoying going through it. Um, again, we're going we're gonna to process just a few things. I want to remind you one or two things about the author the play, some of these things that Gabe mentioned last week, but Paul, who's the author of this book, is this incredible pioneer. He's actually quite a wild man. He's this radical, passionate pioneer, and it's an amazing thing. He's got some friends in this journey. We see it in Acts 16. They get thrown into jail, but he's not alone. He's on this journey with friends, and we're going to engage some of these incredible truths, but Eugene Peterson, when speaking about the book of Philippians, he speaks about the incredible highs and lows of Paul's ministry. I mean, he writes this book, no matter what, the book of Philippians, he writes this book in prison. I think when we forget and we lose sight of that, and we don't put ourselves in that place and say, would I be writing a book about joy, calling the church to boy, joy, to joy, I need more water in my mouth, I'll be back, <laughs> calling the church to joy. But writing that book from prison, when we forget that fact, I think we lose an incredible power dynamic out of this book. But Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, for Paul, circumstances are incidental compared to the life of Jesus, the Messiah, that Paul experiences from the inside. For it is a life that not only happened at a certain point in history, but continues to happen, spilling out into the lives of those who receive him, and then continues to spill out all over the place. Christ is... Among much else, the revelation of God that cannot be contained or hoarded, it is the spilling out quality of Christ's love that accounts for the happiness of Christians. For joy is, the, is life in excess, the overflow of what cannot be contained within one person. It's all in Jesus. Paul says, actually, for me, circumstances, they're just incidental. It's about the life that is inside, that is Jesus inside of me. That is the life of the church. It's the hope of the church. It's not meetings. It's not events. It's not lights and actions, camera. It's the life of Jesus inside of us that he keeps giving. He keeps pouring out. Had incredible privileges this week of praying with people for the first time for the life of God to invade them, for Jesus to come inside. And it is a monumental moment. 
not just for lives, but for the kingdom of God advancing. And we get to partner in that. But remember, we've got to remember who Paul was. He was Saul. He was basically the ISIS of his time. When they were speaking about Stephen stoning, uh, and it says actually, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's this guy who wrote this book about joy, who's sitting in a prison calling the church of believers to a life lived out for Christ. It's the same guy. He's standing at Stephen stoning and going, good, good. It's the same guy. But what happens is we see in Acts 9, and it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. He's in that mode of kill them. He's in that mode of anger. He's not a happy man. He's not a full of joy man. It says in Acts 9 verse 12, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for him letters to send to the synagogues. It's, it's a radical situation. In the midst of all of this, the threats and the death threats still coming out of his mouth. Jesus breaks in. Jesus breaks in. And he says, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's quite an amazing question. When we talk about the church, the bride, we think we're talking about people. Paul is persecuting the church, and God says, why do you persecute me? Got to be careful how we talk about his bride. Got to be careful how we handle his bride. Ah, this denomination and this. No, no, no. His bride. I am Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into a city, and you will be told what you must do. God takes the worst of the worst, turns him around to be the guy who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Maybe you are here today, and you are discounting yourself for every reason under the sun. You've got no more reason to be disqualified than this man. And yet God chose and God spoke, and God breathed his life, and God put joy so deep down inside. And he encounters, and, and it's this Philippi, it's a little bit like Cape Town, it's, 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 it's a whole bunch of things going on, and lots of opportunities, and lots of anti-the church, and the church wasn't exactly thriving in the early days, but God speaks through his man Paul from a prison, and calling the church to joy. To joy. He's unlawfully held in prison, but God's speaking. And he's calling the church to thrive. And I want to take us into these scriptures. And I want us to read the whole first chapter together. Is that all right? The whole one. Top to the bottom. Some of you are like, whoa, haven't read that much in weeks. We're going to do it together to see that it's not that difficult. I'm going to put it on the screen as well. And um, I trust even as we read the word, God's going to do something in your heart and mind. I believe in the public reading of the word. I believe it's powerful. I believe it doesn't matter the attitude with which I listen to it. The word is still powerful. I don't give it power. It is powerful. So we come under the word this morning, and I pray, Father, would you speak? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way that, that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am going on living in the body. This will mean fruitful labor for me if I am going on living. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle that I, I saw you ha- same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. I trust uh, this is a book, and Edwin used the term he spoke about. This is the book that people love their fridge max, fr- magnets, these one-liners: "To live is Christ, and to die is gain." Boom on the fridge, boom on the back of the bumper sticker of the car. It's full of these little moments, but it's so important that we get the bigger picture. It's so important that we understand the context. See, most people, we struggle with the no matter what, the, 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 these truths. But I want to speak around some of, out of this, I just want to get to a point. I want to speak today about the joy in partnering with a prisoner. Because Paul's a prisoner. He's writing to a church who are experiencing freedom and life, but he's in prison. He's a prisoner. 
And I heard an amazing story these last couple of weeks. A friend of mine, he, he is a businessman. He has his own business. But he was on Facebook one day, and he saw an, a plea from a distant friend, a friend he hadn't seen in many, many years, a friend he'd walked with years and years before. And the plea went like this. I'm in jail for fraud. I have been in jail for four years because none of my friends would pay my bail. Haven't been to court, and I haven't received judgment. And my friend decided to answer that call to a man who's sitting in jail for white-collar fraud with f and Bank when he was an employee there. And the only reason he got exposed is because he shot his mouth off after one too many beers. But because of his craziness and his stupidity and all of that, his friends and his partners had just said, well, that's your story. You lie in it. And a friend of mine decided to hear that call. He heard about it. He had no responsibility, and that guy would never have known he'd even heard that plea. But he went into the jail. He paid a considerable fee to get him out. A prisoner. You know what he didn't know? He said in those four years in jail, that man had sat down and worked out an incredible, incredible system of credit card protection because he's a genius. No one's a genius after too many beers, so he got caught. But it doesn't mean he wasn't a genius. And when he had time, he sat down in jail and delivered an incredible, incredible credit card protection system that is being processed by Lloyds of London and all these big banks, and they cannot find a fault in it. And because this friend of mine answered this man in jail's call, he's made him his partner in possibly one of the biggest deals out of this country we'll see in many years. It's an incredibly, incredibly exciting prospect. But who would have heard the call of a prisoner over Facebook? Who would have said, well, if his friends didn't go, if his family didn't pay the bill, why should I? Is it my responsibility? And yet because of something inside of my friend, he didn't have any clue about this business prospect at the time. He just knew there was a man in jail who needed help. He knew something of him because they'd partnered in the past in church many years before. And on that basis partnership, there is now an unbelievable prospect of a different future for his whole family and all their families. Don't you love that story? Now let's look back at Paul, because this is a letter from a prisoner calling us to something that seems so foreign to where he is. How can you speak to me about success and deals when you're in prison? How can you speak to me about joy when you're in prison? It's an incredible, incredible thing. But I want to tell you that there's joy in partnership. This book starts out with partnership. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. He starts out with partnership. See, Paul is penning this book. It's not Timothy. Timothy got thrown in jail with Paul because he was his disciple. He's walking with them. But we've got to understand that this book starts right up at the front with this incredible picture of partnership. Timothy shouldn't be there with Paul because the Bible gives us clues as to who Timothy was. And we see it in 2 Timothy 1 verse 4, recalling your tears, I long to see you. Paul's writing to Timothy saying, I know you are crying, baby. I know you're crying. It's okay. I'm, I long to see you. He, he speaks about Timothy. He says, don't let people despise you because you are young. Who's Timothy? He's, he's a young man. He could be discounted because of his youth. He says, he writes in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For the Spirit of God does not give us a, make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
He's writing to Timothy. He's including Timothy right at the front of the book, who is a crybaby, who was raised by his mom and his grandmom. That's what the Bible tells us. He was young. He was timid. And then it carries on. It says, actually, he was a little sickly. He said, take a little wine for your frequent ailments, Timothy. Paul takes this guy, partners with him. The Bible tells us it wasn't Timothy who sent an application to walk with Paul. It was Paul who asked the brothers for Timothy. He saw something in him. And he says, you, Timothy, are going to be my partner. And Timothy's going, but you do this crazy ministry. I'm timid, a little bit sick. I was raised by my mom and my grandmom. Doesn't feel like the fit for me. We're right at the front of the book. Not Apostle Paul. Not warrior of the ministry, Paul. Not if all 17 titles he could have, Paul. Just Paul and Timothy on a journey in jail, writing to the church and setting Timothy up for a ministry. In the very first lines of this book, we see partnership. And partnership, it, it starts in our unbelievable partnership we have with Jesus. It starts there. It's an incredible thing. He says, they say, why Timothy? And we read in in. in, in uh, Philippians 2 verse 25, no one else of kindred spirits who will generally be concerned for your welfare. He's pulled Timothy into the story. Why? Because there's something in Timothy, a kindred spiritness in Timothy. That's amazing. And right at the start of this book, I don't know when you read the Bible, how you read it, but to me, every line and everything has meaning. Everything. Because he could have just gone, I, Paul, am in jail, and we wouldn't have even known about Timothy, and that would have been okay. Do you see that? Hello. Very serious this morning. Very, very serious. Oh, God. And he carries on. He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. What do you see there? I see something pretty cool. See, we live in a world that loves hierarchy. And the apostle, right, he says, To all the saints. He starts with all the saints. And then the overseers and the deacons. He flips a worldly structure on its head. Normally you would write to the esteemed leaders in the city, then the deacons, and then maybe you'd mention the general common people. He says to the saints. I think that's amazing. He's calling them to partner. He says, in this partnership, I'm not higher than you. I'm not lower than you. I'm just playing a different part. I might be in jail, you might be free, we're paying different parts. The point is Jesus. The point is the advancing of the gospel. It's got to, it's got to break into us. We've got to see it in these one-liners and say, God, why did you do it like that? Because that wouldn't have been the culture of the day. It wouldn't be in how he would have been taught to write as a persecutor of the Jews. And some of these truths have got to get in our hearts because we disqualify ourselves from partnerships because of things like hierarchical thinking. And we've got to allow these truths to break in because God is calling us to partnerships. Partnership means sharing. To be a sharer. To be a partner means to be a sharer. Someone who partakes in the profits and the losses. See, we love to partake in the profits. Even in local church sometimes, we love to partake in the profits. The, the family and the encouragement and the teaching and, and the covering and the moments of, of when we really need help, we cry. But the challenge of partnership, and we use this language in Life Changes, we don't have members in Life Changes. We don't have members. We have partners. 
We speak of partners intentionally because we want to be people who can celebrate and share in both the profits and the losses when times get tough, when we need people to come running. Oh, but, 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 but you're a leader. You should be. No, no, no. Sometimes we all need people to come running. Sometimes people's mom dies, and they just need a phone call, just need a friend. That's how the church begins to work. And the foundations of this partnership with the church and Paul, we've, we understand the Apostle Paul sitting in jail, and he's writing with tender language to this church. But what's the foundation? What's underpinning that language? Well, the first one is the foundation that they were joined in Christ. We see Acts 16, and the birthing of this church came out of the salvation of Lydia and the salvation of a demonized woman who is prophesying and speaking, but, and, and, then, and then calling a Gentile man who is a, a slave, who, not a slave, he, he was a, what do you call it? Warder at the prison. These three, he's calling all those three. He says, actually, our basis of relationship is not that we made money together. Our basis of relationship is that not that we, we supported the, the Philippi Herald's basketball team or something. That's not what brought us together. What brought us together, church, is the beauty and the wonder and the glory and the splendor of the gospel. And at the very center of that is Jesus. At the very center of the power that sustains that is Jesus. Why can we partner? Why can he call them to something? Because at the center of their partnership is Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing thing. See, it, it overcomes challenges and differences. It means that in local church, people can come from different backgrounds, and different stories, and different economic bases, and different lenses in terms of the world and where the world would see people, and speak different languages. So grateful. I, I was an eldership team with a man named Christian Molol Nawesh for many years. And he tells the story, so I'll tell the story. We have these lenses, and he was working. He's married to an English rose. She's as pale as they come out of England. And he is pretty darn dark. But he's a beautiful man. And one day he was working in the garden. I'm going to tell the story anyway. He's working in the garden, and a guy came says, Hey, can I speak to the madam? <laughs> so Christian, the most humble man, and I says, Yeah, no problem. Goes and calls Helen. He says, Helen, he wants to speak to you. <laughs> and that's his wife. And we've got to laugh about these things, but we've got to understand those are in the church. It's in the church. And because of Jesus at the center of partnership, we can do life together and both learn and both grow. As Christian can tell that story with a laugh on his face because he's secure in Jesus and because he knows that him and I are on a journey together. And I have to learn about Lumbumbashi and what goes on in Lumbumbashi. Outside of knowing Christian and having Christian at my dinner table for meals, how would I know about Lumbumbashi? So grateful for the local church, where at the center of our partnership is not what we have in common. At the center of our partnership is who we have in common and the hope that we have in common, that is Jesus. It makes the local church unique in this world. And it overcomes a multitude of challenges. And it's the reason we can keep moving forward and keep being a sign and a wonder to the world. You know why I can call them to partnership? They'd suffered together. There'd been this pioneering and suffering and, 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 and they were joined together in Christ. And when the attack came and, and Paul and Silas are in prison and the church is praying and there's this calling on and fighting, there are these willingness to suffer and to pioneer together. Why do we call church together to pray and to fast and to contend at times? Because we believe when the church does that and gathers, God moves his hand. I told the staff 
a story the other day. I vividly have a memory of a friend of ours who was in trouble. And this is what was going on in his life. He was a good sportsman, but, but hadn't worked on his career or prospects in career. So he was 24 years old, had no career prospects, and the woman he had loved since standard nine for seven or eight years went off with another guy, and within two weeks with that guy, fell pregnant. His world had fallen apart. And three of us, his friends, got together. We, we got to pray. We got him on the dunes of Durban beachfront very early in the morning. And I remember crying out for a friend. I remember standing on a 5 a.m. very humid Durban beachfront and contending for my friend because we weren't the same. He's from a different school, from a different story, a different town. But I loved him because we'd done time together. We'd been to some things together. We'd contended for things, and I believe God wanted to do something. Within six months of that moment, and we prayed for more than once, but within six months of that moment, that girl who'd run away, who was his best friend's sister, came back. And they were together again. Now 12 years later, they have three children, the first of whom he adopted and the second whom of theirs. Within one month of us praying on that beach, God moved his hand. He got a job in, a, in, in an unbelievable circumstance. 12 years later, he's still working at that job and pioneering and has massive promotion. Why? Because at the center of our relationships is Jesus. It's not what I can get from you. It doesn't benefit me a thing to get out of bed and pray on the beach run at five o'clock in the morning. But because of Jesus and only Jesus, he calls us into this story that changes the world. And it says, amazingly, he can speak to the church so strongly because they shared in the missionary work. We see later, Paul writes in, in Philippians 4, he says, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was there in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul's this traveling evangelist. And he says, actually, the call went out and you gave. Why can he speak to them in partnership and strength of language? Because they partnered in Jesus and receiving Jesus. They partnered in suffering and they partnered in giving. So there are these amazing stories. And I want to speak and I want to jump ahead a little bit. I was, I've got way too many notes today. So we're going to pull it back a little bit. And it's an amazing thing. If we go to verse 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I want to speak about this, how to live in the joy of partnerships. Because I'm very aware that in the world, a partnership is what can I get out of you? People go into marriage with that lens, guys. Because in people's lens of this world, outside of God and His design, marriage is what can I get out of you? So when we dated, I got out of you. Sex, I got out of you these satisfactions. I want to keep getting that out of you in marriage. And when some of that changes and things enter the relationship where I can't keep getting that out of you, I break the partnership. In the kingdom of God... A upside-down kingdom, a completely foreign to the kingdom of this world, partnership is well, but what can I give to you? Because when I see the model and the image of partnership, I see Jesus who gave everything. And then we sing songs like, with everything. And the church works because we are here to contribute, because we are here to give, because we are here to get stuck in. And so we've got to understand it and the nature of partnership because it's so foreign to our world. And it says in verse 3, our people... And I want to ask you this question. Are people in your thoughts, and your mind? It says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. It's quite a thing. He's sitting in prison. 
The reason he's in prison is because of his preaching to people like the Philippians. Part of the reason he's in prison is because of them. And he writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. Sometimes partnership is tiring and taxing. Let's be honest. Because partners don't feel anything to phone you late at night. Your friends who phone and say, we're in trouble, we need help. They're your partners. Partners have access. So sometimes it can be taxing. But partnership is about this. It's when people are taking risks in our community. When people are taking risks, we're, we're, and, and, and here's the difference in the partnership. It's where Jesus is at the center. When people are pioneering, we say, I, I want to create opportunities. I want to pray for you. You're in my thoughts. I find one of the ladies who moved away, a single lady who, through circumstance, moved to a small town and, and was a huge support when she was here. And I just picked up the phone and I phoned her. And on the other side was this aghast. Like, why would you phone? I'm like, obviously, we're partners. She might be 78, single and very different to me. She's my partner. And we all drop the ball along the way sometimes. But when we understand this dynamic of, of sitting and, 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 and enjoying, and he says, I always remember you. You want to be a partner or someone who walks in partnership with people? Do you remember people? Do you remember their stories? Not just their names on a Sunday. This is a deeper remembering. It's a deeper partnering. And then he says an incredible statement. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of our partnership in the gospel. You want partners? Pray for them. Don't pray for partnership. Pray for people and allow partnership to happen. Pray for this church. Pray for the safety of the single people and ladies in this church. Pray pray for the single moms in this church that God would favor them. And God would give them opportunities and provide Pray for the older people in this church whose families are distant and they are lonely. Pray for the young people that God would provide opportunities and keep providing opportunities in a supernatural community. Pray for the struggling. Pray for those who are struggling with depression. Why? Because we're in partnership. Because the book of Philippians says there's joy in that partnership. And we live in a world that says, oh, I don't want to get in partnership with this guy. I don't want to get in partnership with this guy because we see all the faults. And the Bible says, actually, if Jesus is at the center, I'll overcome the faults and there'll be joy in that partnership. That's what this book is about. And the problem is we love taking little one-liners, like to live as Christ and to die as gain, and we forget the big picture of what's going on in the book. And then lastly, if you want to walk in partnership, he says it's an incredible thing. He have people in his heart. He writes this. It is, is it, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. I'm challenged with that word all. I've said it before. I don't know about you. When it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. When he prays all of you, it means all. It means every single one. The ones you don't get on with the ones who don't watch the sport you do, the ones who don't speak the language you do, and the ones who irritate you. They are those, and they're allowed to be those in church. Are we all okay with that? says, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in the God's grace with me. See, here's this thing. He says this amazing, I have you in my heart. We've got to be careful about being a church. I'll pray for you. Because if it's not in your heart, the prayer won't happen. Amazing thing, I was preparing for this preach and just feeling a little bit like, God, is this the moment? Is this it? 
I got an SMS from my very first home group leader this morning. Sitting down, preparing. He was the guy who used to keep a chair for me on the other side of the room because I would come straight from rugby practice, stinking. And they would keep a chair for me and he would keep food for me. Because he was six years older than me, he was advanced in his career. He was the guy who, when my parents got liquidated, paid for my camp that I went on, where God spoke, and a month later, I met Candace. And two weeks later, someone paid for my studies. He's that guy. None of you know his name, and you'll probably never hear him preach. He was the guy who, when I had to go out and make a buck, I got a job at RJ's, and he came and sat on his own and spent 30 rand and gave me a 50 rand tip. He's that guy. He's the guy who SMSs this morning and says, I'm remembering you. I'm praying for you. And I remember prophesying over your life that you would preach the gospel when you were just 19 years old and all you had was student debt and nothing. He's that guy. He's my partner. We pray for those we remember and God calls us into these kind of relationships. And so it shatters consumerism in the church. And it shatters in and out. And, it, and you know what? There is pain and there should be pain when we are forced to move and leave community. I left the community, Glenridge is in Durban, Wally, not in Pretoria. <laughs> and, and I left Glenridge after 20 years and there was pain. I'm not going to lie. There was pain. It should be like that. Because it's family. Because we're partners. And because it's been good. Because Jesus is at the center. Maybe it wasn't always good because the circumstances were good. And maybe we drop the ball. Look at my friend Moses, who's been through chaos, and I'm going, have I phoned enough? And I probably haven't. But I think about him every day. And I pray for him every day. Because he's my friend. Can we have people in our hearts? See, I think the challenge is, if anyone should have had the damaged heart, it should have been Paul. Shipwrecked, bitten by a viper. Had competition in his ministry. People had accused him of all sorts of things. If anyone should have given up on the prospect of goodness on the other side and joy in partnership, it should be this guy writing this book. And yet he calls this church from prison to say, Church, will you find joy in partnership first with Jesus? And I... I was going to say a whole lot more, but I want to ask you three questions this morning. Have you found the joy of partnering with Jesus? Not just knowing about Him. And hear what it looks like when you begin to partner with Jesus. A consistency line comes in your life. It's not one day up, one day down. One day good, one day terrible. A consistency line begins to come where circumstances, like I'm in prison, become less of a factor in our joy. That's what it looks like. Ability to persevere. See, and it leads to a supernatural life. Peter walks on water. It didn't change to a concrete path. He walked on water. I want to ask you two more questions. Have you found the joy of partnering in the local church? See, because the Bible talks about language like family, intimacy, Have you found the joy? See, and I, I encounter a lot of people, oh, I got hurt, and oh, I got this, and oh, and I'm saying, no, no, no. If Jesus is at the center, then there's a continual, ongoing call to partner. 
And I'm telling you, I sit with, with single moms and I know life is hectic. And I'm saying to them, will you partner in the local church and you watch a community raise your child? Because I know it takes a community to raise children. I need community to help me raise mine. And we got two people in the deal. And people are struggling. And the enemy's calling people to back into smallness, back into seclusion. And to, ah, oh, they let me down, they let me down. I'm saying, actually, no, no, no. See, see, if you think that partnering with the local church is partnering with me, and I am your conduit to the local church, it's wrong. The local church looks like hands and feet and mouths and ears, many parts, one body. There are much better counselors in this church than me, I'm just going to tell you. Some have studied for years. And our job is to make sure that all those parts and players are playing their part. Are you prepared to partner with the local church? And like Paul, I want to ask you, have you experienced the incredible highs of walking with Jesus? Because if you haven't, the momentary lows of this life will seem overwhelming. Paul, one encounter with the King of Kings, one encounter of his goodness, one encounter of his greatness. And he was done. He was ruined for a life of selfishness. He was ruined for a life of of secluded reality. He was ruined because of one encounter with Jesus. Have you encountered Jesus? Can we pray? Lord, I pray this morning... I just pray, even as we read your word, there are one-liners and truths that would just strike us. I pray your word would speak this morning. Greater than my points of direction, I pray, God, your word would be upon us. The world's shouting and says, Take, go into relationship only where you can get. And every magazine is how to get the most out of your marriage, how to get the most, where it's all about me at the center. And yet this guy, this previous persecutor of the church, now receiver of your grace, calls us today to a life in Jesus, to partner, to stretch out and to say, God, I'm going to open my life to people. I'm going to open my life to stories. And in the middle of all of that mess, sometimes the promise is joy. The promise is a life shared. And I pray God this morning, For us as a church and in the foundations of this community, this Philippians series would do so much more than give us more one-liners that we can throw out and quote. But we would see the realities of a Paul and Timothy partnership, a Paul and Epaphroditus partnership, a Paul and Lydia partnership, that you could take this man and partner with a Gentile woman for partnership and effectiveness of the kingdom and saying, God, do that in our midst. Break down the mindsets, the stereotypes, and the smallness which would keep us from walking in the joy of partnering with all the saints. We give you all the glory and all the praise. I ask this morning, for those who haven't made the decision to partner with Jesus, I, maybe I'll tell you stories about human relationships and you go, if I could only have that with Jesus, I would ask today, make the decision.